Welcome to the Preach and Persuade podcast. My name is Sam Parada. I'm here with Dan Rudman, and we are just trudging through on this topic of evangelism. This is our third uh, episode where we have been talking about the subtopic of methods. Uh, you know, how do we, you know, what, is, what is methods to evangelism? How do we get to the gospel? That's basically what we've been defining methods as, is this, you know, this doorway, this, this, this avenue, this, this road that we take that gets us to a gospel, gospel proclamation where we actually share the message of the gospel that's given to us in the scriptures about the life, the death, the resurrection of Christ, um, salvation by faith in Christ alone, that message. So we've been talking about methods. And, you know, last episode, we really hammered home this on this idea of personal evangelism with people around us, you know, the people that we interact with on a, on a daily basis. And Dan just gave us story after story after story of this, his interactions with people that everyday people like, I mean, I just, I just get such a kick out of it because it's like the guy that was filling up his LP gas tank, you know, propane tank, you know, outside of his house. If you live out in the country or something, you have your own propane tank to heat your house. If it's, if you live in a place where it's cold, you need to heat your house. And every once in a while it runs low and you got to get it refilled up. And the guy, it comes with this big trunk with this, you know, big propane tank thing on his truck and he hooks up a hose and he fills your propane tank up with propane. And Dan had a conversation with him. And so, and it, you know, it got evangelistic, it got spiritual, it got gospel. So that's just what we talked about. Like this, you know, this initiative, personal evangelism that we do, that most of us, that's what it's going to be. That's going to be our type of evangelism with our coworkers, with the store clerk, with, you know, somebody we hang out with, somebody we hunt with, somebody we fish with, somebody we go bowling with. Dan talked about bowling. And I just, that's the, the vast majority of Christians, that's going to be their their type of evangelism. Um, and so, again, we've talked about this acquaintance, non-acquaintance. Actually, when we look at the the biblical examples of, of evangelism, most of the people that, you know, are evangelized are not acquaintances. They're strangers, and, and they're just going about life, and they, they, you know, you tell people about the gospel, about Christ, um, and you don't have to. There's this, there's this kind of this, I don't know. It's just a saying. You hear it. You hear it said a lot by people. People just throw it out there a lot, and I think they don't. They don't learn it in the scriptures. They just hear it from all these other people, and they like it. Uh, it feels safe to them. It's this idea. Well, you got to sh- form a relationship with somebody before you can share the gospel with them. They gotta. They gotta trust you before you can share something as heavy as the gospel with them. And it's like that's not true. Actually, that's not true. It's just not true. Certainly, there's a lot of examples of people where we took a slower route, where we formed a relationship with. Maybe they're a family member, maybe they're a coworker. Absolutely, that's that's true. But to say to make a definitive statement that in order to share the gospel, you have to first have formed a relationship, that's not true. You can go and you can share the gospel with somebody you just met in a matter of seconds. Dan gave us some examples, and God God can use that and regenerate a heart, literally. God's the one that changes hearts. God's the one that finds his lost sheep. God's the one that draws people to himself. We get to participate, like Dan said, in this amazing ministry, this amazing work of of, of changing people's lives that God is doing. We get to participate with them. And then, obviously, we have examples where, you know, 
the contact, the person that doesn't know Christ initiates with the evangelist. And again, you can you can kind of create an atmosphere where that's possible. Dan does his jail ministry where he he gets in a room with a bunch of people who are in jail and they get to ask him any question they want. And they just throw them at him. And he, he uses those questions to get to the gospel. I do a thing at the NDSU campus where I rent a booth in the, the Memorial Union and I just put up a sign that says, got questions, we're Christians, ask us anything you want about our faith. And I just sit there, and people come up, and they ask a question, and I use their question as a doorway into the gospel. And that's kind of that type of thing, people initiating with us. And then there's this category of personal and personal. So we've, most of what we've been talking about so far has been what we would label personal evangelism. It's conversational. We're having a conversation with somebody. They're asking us questions, we're asking them questions, and we're telling stories, we're talking, and blah, 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 blah. Very personal, very relational, close, you know, it might be over a cup of coffee, it might be, you know, whatever it is. But then we have this other side, impersonal. And this is where we get into this category of preaching to the crowds, preaching to the masses. You know, let's gather thousands of people in a venue, and you know, in a stadium, wherever it might be, in a tent, out on, you know, out in a field, and let's have an evangelist, let's have a person come and preach to all these people, and it's it's not personal. He's not having a personal conversation with somebody. He's just preaching a message to a bunch of people, and they're listening, and then there might be an opportunity for a response or a follow-up or an altar call or pray this prayer, or do this or do that, and and that's what we want to talk about. So Dan and I want to kind of, you know, Talk about the history of that phenomena, Dan says it is. Uh, you know, this gathering of the masses and preaching the gospel to them, these crusades. Um, you know, there's a there's a ministry called Pulse, and I, I, I bring up Pulse because the guy who founded founded Pulse, Nick Hall, he, he, he went to NDSU. So he went to the school that I went to about 10 years before I did. And he started this organization called Pulse literally at NDSU. And uh, so it's it's kind of in my you know in my sphere of of understanding you could say and and now it's grown to this big evangelistic uh, you know organization and a few years ago they did an organization in Washington Washington D.C. where they wanted to you know have a million people fill the Washington Mall you know the, you know where Martin Luther King gave his big famous speech they wanted to fill that with a, a million people and have a bunch of, you know, musicians and famous speakers like Francis Chan and get a bunch of people together and share the gospel and have it be this big evangelistic event. And I don't think they got a million, but they got maybe 600, 700,000 people there, which is a lot of people. Um, and then they did another thing, you know, in Minneapolis a couple years ago, uh, a brand new Viking stadium was built, U.S. Bank Stadium. It's a sweet, sweet stadium. And, you know, if you watch football, you, the, the Super Bowl there was there two years ago. So they're like, hey, let's fill the U.S. Bank Stadium with 60,000 people. And again, same or- ordeal. Let's get famous musicians, you know, all these contemporary Christian artists. Let's get some well-known speakers. Let's g- just gather a mass of people, and then we'll share the gospel to them. So there, that's this thing that's going on. It's very, we know this, we've seen this, you know. 
But Dan is going to give us a little bit of the history of that. What's going on here? We're going to kind of critique the method of this. You know, not so much critique the people, but more just critique this method of of mass evangelism. What's going on there? How did this develop historically? Uh, and is this a viable method? Is this something that's that's good? This is is this something we should be doing? And this is this how we should be doing evangelism? And because I've I've talked to a lot of people that when I tell them that I'm an evangelist, you know, this is what I do, my vocation is I'm an itinerant evangelist, I'm an evangelist. They instantly think that like what comes to their mind when you say I'm an evangelist is they instantly think of Billy Graham. They instantly think of like a televangelist, this guy that gathers thousands of people and preaches a message to them. That's what they think. And what Dan was was so beautifully painted for us in the last episode was a was a picture of the evangelist who works in his community and he shares Christ with all these people he interacts with in a personal way, and that's what most evangelism really is, even historically. But now we have this thing where we gather masses of people, and and you know, and one guy preaches to fifty thousand people, hundred thousand people, whatever it is. So we're gonna kind of. Cr- critique that method talk about it is it viable is it something we should be pursuing what's actually going on there behind the scenes all that stuff and so dan has a lot of amazing things to say about it i'm just going to hand it over to him and let him huh. go off for as long well, as he wants really well history is amazing so i'm not adding anything to it but maybe we can open it up a little bit let me say a couple things a segue from the last segment uh that would be i think a good thing and i said okay so i said something maybe in one of the early sessions and i'm going to restate it i wish i would have said it in this prior session about all these relationships this local stuff i think a statement that's really helpful in that was uh maybe she quoted somebody else but there was a gal by the name of becky pippert who wrote a book called out of the salt shaker so what i want your your age sam so 30 some years ago i would have you know my early young probably before i was in ministry i read that book and uh she had a great statement in there. She talked about sharing the gospel. And she says, when you're giving the gospel, it's like going and going amongst these sheep. And she said, God's sheep will lift their heads. The rest will go on eating grass. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's just a great imagery. Obviously, it's still in my mind 30-some years later. I can't even, you know, I just remember reading a book. And maybe she quoted somebody. Maybe I don't even have it exactly right. And it, and it, and it really is rooted in John chapter 10. Okay, in yeah. A sense. My sheep will hear my voice. Right. Yep. So the point in all that is simply to say that I shared some fun stories with you guys at this great adventure. Oh, yes. But, but sometimes people don't lift their heads. They're not interested in what you have to say. Yep. And I don't want to make it sound like every time you offer some little nugget to somebody that could open a door, that it automatically opens the door. Because it doesn't. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, we already talked about this. I'm So when I go out in the day, it's, it's an adventure looking for what God has in store. I mean, he's... Right got these set up and so i just want i just want to encourage that that so in a sense when i'm out talking to these different people i am looking i'm literally looking for people who are interested that's why when a guy says well i don't like to talk about it and i go why and and then he goes on for 30 or 40 minutes um i do have a lot of that happen because i think actually people really do want to talk about this if they feel that they have an opportunity to do it on the other hand let's say the guy says i don't want to talk about it okay See, yep. so we, and we'll get to this later in some of these podcasts. We're going to talk about apologetics. But guys, I've literally been 
like in the open air, they call it, where you stand there on the steps of a, of a university, and uh, it's scary. I mean, it's, but just to open up, say, ask me any question you want, let's interact. You know, I'm not the yep. guy that likes to scream and yell at people. That's not what I do, but I do open air stuff. My point, and even in that, is like, I tell people, and you'd have to be with me, it's not like I want to be in a fight and argue with you about this. Right. I just want to talk to you about the gospel. If you run, if you reject, <laughs> if you reject it, you reject it. Now, I don't take yep. that lightly, by the way. I'm just saying though that I can't do anything about the fact that you're going to reject it. Mm-hmm. So I'm just looking for people who want to talk about it, mm-hmm. and I'm willing to do that. So mm-hmm. it take. I say that to you in in a personal application way, is it takes the pressure off. Yeah, your job is not to sell somebody something. It's right. just to talk about the gospel. So, okay, enough said. Now, so now we, you want to go to this mass evangelism kind of discussion. And yep. I, I have a lot of thoughts about that. But let me start with this, because I don't want anybody to hear what I'm not saying, which is a wonderful yeah. statement. I don't know if you ever heard that statement. It's a great statement. Don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? So yeah. <laughs> it is an unbelievable phenomenon in history to think that this man, let's just say Billy Graham, and there's been others. There's Luis Palau and... You know, Nick Hall and all these guys. Let's just think of Billy Graham. How many millions of people have heard the gospel through Billy Graham? Unbelievable. Right. And if right. we if we hold to what we started with in our Bible theology discussion early on, Second Corinthians chapter two, that it always goes. Yep. It's always a sweet aroma to the to God. It always goes right. in this processional. It always is victorious. For some, it smells like death. For some, it smells like life. If yep. we take that definition. Wait, there's not one negative thing you can say about mass evangelism because the gospel is going out to masses of right. people. If, if it's a true preaching of the true gospel. Yeah, exactly. right, right. And so yep. I just want to leave that. I'm not here to say, oh, Billy Graham goofed up and we're going to talk about this theology, his theology here or that theology. I don't want to get into that. I really don't. Right. In, in this, yep. But I do want to talk about the history of this so you can understand this and kind of see where your life falls within this and have some sense of a discussion about this, okay? And, yep. And, and so there will be some critique, probably. Uh, you'll see that. But I'm not talking about godly people who felt that they should preach to masses and masses heard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, whoa. Okay, so let's, let's jump in here then. I want to I go in history and just realize that, well, I, I guess, and you even said it earlier, Sam, you said I talked about a phenomena. I guess I have used that word in our discussions. I don't know. I don't know if I always use that yep. word. But um, my point is, is if you were to look at uh, the history of evangelism for the last 2,000 years, okay, mm-hmm. you would find that most evangelism, starting right with the Gospels and the book of Acts, is what we talked about earlier. It's relationships, it's people talking to people, it's small groups, it's, it's not this mass, get everybody together in one place in a stadium and preach to the masses. That's not like mm. the history of evangelism in, 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 in great numbers. That's not... That's not the flow necessarily. And so if we were to step in here, we would have to say, um, um, I, would, I would just want to jump in at about the 18th century. doesn't need to fog people over, but think 1700s. And prominent yep. names like George Whitfield and Charles Wesley, okay? Without getting into yep. all the heat detail, here, here are men that would come into a city and, and thousands of people would show up to listen to these guys. Right. And it was, it was known as the First Great Awakening and... and it was fascinating, uh, but understand what's going on, okay? So let's just talk about America. Uh, there's a lot of discussion about this. America was a place of a new frontier. People were individual. Um, 
they were, it was just an interesting time in the environment. And so there was no TV, you know, there was no internet, there was no yep. the, big movie theaters per se. Yep. Well, when Charles Wesley, let's think Whitfield, let me camp on Whitfield. When Whitfield came yeah. to town, it was a phenomena. It was like, oh, the guy was trained as an actor. He was an incredible orator. He would stand up on a little tiny box, and, and somehow his voice would could be projected to 10, 20, 30,000 people. Yeah, and he's English, and he, you know, it takes yep. him a. They're coming over the seas. He, I mean, I think he took seven, I think seven, if I'm right, seven or eight journeys yeah. from England to America, yeah. and then back, and then back. So, like, so you just got to get this imagery that this, this is an event, a community event. This guy. Yeah. Is coming to town to preach, and so whether it was tents and sawdust on the ground because it was so muddy, all these sorts of you know again following after that, it wasn't just Whitfield. There were people like that. This was a community event, you yeah. know, with music and all sorts of stuff. And and you have to recognize that that. So in a sense, if you just talk pure method, it was a doorway to the culture at that time. Let's come in town and have a big carnival, and all these people are going to come listen to you. Yep, and so. That had, you know, a certain aspect to it that, that say, God used it. It was in a place, oh, in yeah. time, in history. Okay, so now we move from there, and I'm, I'm taking some big swath for just a few minutes here with you. You start moving into the 1900s, so uh, uh, the 20th century. Or excuse me, the yep. 1800s. Excuse me, 1800s, 19th century. So start yep. George Whitfield, Charles West. Just realize there's a phenomenon going on. They're preaching to masses of people. Uh, lots of stuff going on there. Whitfield and Wesley actually disagreed on some theological points, so they, they kind of parted ways a little bit, even though one preached at the other one's funeral at the end of their life. They were still friends, but they disagreed theologically. Um, yeah. You know, so you had Wesleyan Methodism, that sort of thing happening, and then you had Whitfield, who was more Calvinist Reformed. There, there, there was a difference in how they saw evangelism yep. uh, play itself out. And that really comes to light then in the uh, 19th century, mid-1800s, uh, with two men that you could juxtapose, put them side by side. One was a name that's more common and familiar in the evangelical world by the name of Charles Finney. Mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. other name, though, that you'd put that a lot of people don't know, is his name was Asahel Nettleton. So A-S-A-H-E-L, I think. You know, Asahel. Think of the Old Testament name. Asahel sure. Nettleton. Okay, now, um, the... If, you, if you're interested in this, kind of a popular assimilation of this kind of information I'm about to share with you, uh, you could read Nancy Percy's book, Total Truth. She has a chapter mm -hmm. or even a couple chapters on this kind of historic movement and understanding what's happening in our culture today and how that is a piece of that, you know, connects to the dots. Um, yeah. She gets a lot of her information then from a more detailed work by Ian Murray. He's got a book, Revival and Revivalism, Making and Marring yep. of American Evangelicalism. That would be a great detail book if you want to even more detail. What I'm about to say in literally a couple minutes, okay? Yeah. So, yeah. so juxtapose, meaning side by side, put these two men. Now, both of them pursued evangelism differently. And, yep. they, and the reason they did is really theological. If you study their theology, they had a different view of evangelism and the work of evangelism and what God was doing. Okay? So... Um, why don't I start with Nettleton and then shift to Finney? Because Finney is kind of the movement we're talking about that has continued. Okay, So yeah. Nettleton, well, they both continue, but the one is the one we're really emphasizing. So Nettleton opposed Finney. Okay, so And you'll know what I mean. Nettleton would go to churches. He would go from church to church to church, 
preaching a small church, say 100 people. And he'd stay there yep. for a number of weeks. He didn't want to be a celebrity. He didn't want to overtake the pastor as a celebrity. He was there as a guest to preach to the people. And then during the days, he'd preach in the evenings. He'd preach the gospel. And obviously, yep. over a week or two or six weeks, he'd preach probably lots of different things. But always center in the gospel. Theological, uh, more reform, more, you know, I would just say more biblically, exegetical, expository, calling people to respond yeah. to the nature of God, the nature of man. He would preach these things. And then yep. he, he would go out. Uh, probably even with the pastor and elders, however that looked. I don't know exactly how it looked, but on the days he would go visit with the people that seemed yep. like they were beginning to respond to his messages, and he would go meet with them <laughs> during the days. And so he would leave after maybe, you know, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, six weeks. He would, And what he would lay, always leave behind, let's say there was, in simple simplicity, it would be, uh, you know, 100 people in a church, he would leave behind. Now there were 120, and those 20 were new converts that looked yeah. like looked like the real deal. And yeah. um, there were years, and, and, and he would do this over and over and over and over and over. And and years later, they went back and did studies of this, and they believe literally there were thousands, tens of thousands of people who came to faith in Christ through Nettleton's ministry. What was fascinating is the great majority of them, 90% plus, could still be counted in the churches. Mm, mm. So again, you, it, it, this was the, the second great awakening. There seemed to be this phenomenon that God was bringing a lot of people into the churches. I have another mm. work here. I can't remember the name of it. It was about the Baptist growth during that time by uh, the last author. What's his name? I, I actually met him. His last name is Fish. can't remember the title. But the numbers during that time are phenomenal. Right. Crazy. Crazy numbers. What God was doing, like, I mean, so imagine a church, if you had a church of 100 and you and this guy leaves a month later and you're now at 120 or 130, that, that actually is a big deal. That's a big deal. Yeah. Yep. Of real people now part of that church and they're still there years later. It's like real. Okay. Right. So that's real Nett brothers and sisters. That's Nettleton. Now, Finney was a different guy. And again, I'm not going to get into all this theology here and everything, but he, does, he, he had a different way of thinking. He was more... You could say Armenian Wesley. Some people even wonder where he was at with his own soul by the end of his life. Not going there yeah. other to say then he came up with this method. And the method was not preaching in the churches per se, but preaching uh, in the community like in stadiums and you know music halls or whatever it was. Yeah. And the goal was to get lots of people in there. And yeah. It was very emotive. He, would, he was very much a preacher, and you got to get forward. You got to get right with God. You got to come to Christ. Even the way I'm saying it, even a past, you should get, yeah, you know, yeah, there's yeah, like yeah. this. So they would have music and they would have testimony, and then they would have ushers walking around, and they were looking yep. for people who looked like they were going to, they were getting fired up, if you will. Like, yeah, yep, like, yep. like you said, they're leaning forward, their eyes are big, maybe they're crying. And the yep. ushers would take these people out and, and usher them forward to sit in the front in this thing called the anxious seat. It was actually, that was the term. <laughs> so that's the early days of this idea of come forward. That's what I want you to know in history. Yep. When you start thinking come forward, that's kind of, you know, there's more to the history, but that's kind of the point in time. So they had this anxious seat. And then after the event, they would counsel these people and quote-unquote, pronounce them as Christians as they had stepped over the line and received Christ, you know, prayed or whatever they did to respond to Christ. Yeah, and it was usually this pray kind of thing. They met with this person. and Okay, so that's that's mid-1800s. Well, that obviously, and Nancy Percy brings this up, that kind of came also on the on the context of a history. You know, the, the, you know, the American world, again, the individual, the new frontier, 
very expressive, explosive. We don't need a, yep. little, a little anti-institutional even, in all fairness. We don't sure. need the local church. We don't need the local pastor. We alone are going to come to know Jesus apart from the church, and we're going to go to a stadium and meet God and whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that kind of took on. Okay, so now you go down in history. Let's get to the late 1800s, early 1900s. Probably another name that people would know is Mordecai Ham. Uh, I don't know if you've mm -hmm. ever heard that name. But again, this is following this mass evangelism idea. It's following Finney. Okay. Yep. Get a bunch of people together in the stadium, have them come forward. And of course, the big name that came out of that, uh, in fact, I think it deeply influenced, uh, uh, the next name is Billy Graham. And he was influenced by Mordecai Ham. And so mm -hmm. now you got Billy Graham. And of course, what a phenomenon in history, right? And I'll let you, right. you can read that. There's tons and tons of books, tons of writing. Now we got Billy Graham, and Billy Graham um, would have these mass crusades, mass things. And if you read the story, yep. uh, you know, early on they would probably pronounce, you know, we had eight thousand people come to faith in Christ. Well, in yep. time they were they they had integrity. These men did know God, and they began to go, nah, maybe they're really not the real deal. We leave the town, and they're really not in the churches, right? Which yeah. is which is what, by the way, let me take one step back. That's what happened with Finney, by the way, right? Like. Like Finney said, even at the end of his life, he'd come to a city where he supposedly saw 10,000 decisions. And I remember there was one quote that stands in my mind. This is the most irreligious place I've ever seen. You know, that was Finney. Wow. It's like he saw what looked like this tremendous fire of re revival and, 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 you know, salvation. And there's nothing there now. The churches are small. Yeah. It's just nothing there. And that, actually out of that environment, you know, however, it, the, the the complexity of history and these things fitting together, that same places that Finney saw these masses numbers are the same same areas, literally, that uh, developed Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and right these cults. These, these I mean, all that stuff. These was Christian just... Christianized or cults out of Christianity kind of came from that whole milieu. Okay, so. Yep. Um, Anyway, that's kind of the gist of it. So now we, let's get back to Billy Graham. You know, we're in the early uh, 20th century now, and Billy Graham's doing his thing. He's preaching to masses. Gospel's going out. Lots of fascinating stories during that time. There's no question. You can study history. But they recognized that of all these masses of people coming forward, there was a very small percentage, when it was all said and done, that you could really account for. And I think, I mean, in some cases, they were down to like 2 and 3% of these decisions. Yep. Looked look legitimate, if you want to say that. Because, right. Right. Why, why are they legitimate? Because they're in the churches. We can look and count it and see them. And so they felt the need to address that, okay? And they did. Now, there's a couple things that were interesting. Some is kind of humorous, too, because, again, my life is, has kind of, in history, I've been able to have a foot in certain worlds. And so I had, a, I had some training years ago with Leighton Ford. I don't know if you know his name, but he was an associate evangelist with the Billy Graham Association. Mm -hmm. And so he, in fact, I think he's married to Billy, one of Billy Graham's sisters or something. Or somehow he's, anyway, but Leighton Ford was an associate. So they would come into a city with a team. Billy Graham was the, you know, the big guy. But during the yeah. day, they would have smaller events that these associates would preach at. And so Leighton Ford was telling us this story. It was funny. Um, one day there was one of the associates was preaching and Leighton Ford was standing in the back mm -hmm. and, and uh, he was there. And of course the guy, uh, there was people there. They wouldn't have probably known who Leighton Ford was. And when the guy, the guy up front made the altar call, you know, again, following that line of Finney, you need to come forward. We're going to have music and motive, get them to come yep. forward. Leighton Ford says, he looked at the guy, he says, don't you want to go forward? Give your life to Christ. <laughs> yeah. and, he, and he goes, I'm waiting Tonight for the big guy. I want to go forward with him. <laughs> Bill, meaning Billy Graham. 
So they created an entire system. And what a lot of people don't know, again, too, and this may be sound overly critical, but just realize like a lot of those people going forward are actually these follow-up counselors. They're not all the people that are coming to Christ. There's a lot of that flow are people who are, are set up to be there, not to trick anybody, but to go down there and then they go down in this group that goes down and they start yes. peeling off. And I was involved with some of that. You know, I was trained in all that sort of stuff. And, and so you turn and you talk to people and then you become their counselor, see? And so yep. part of that was what they got to the point, instead of calling them decisions for Christ, they called them inquirers. You know, they, they were trying yeah. to... So here's the point. They were honestly, with integrity, trying to answer this conf conflict where there's masses of people coming forward, but it doesn't look like it's necessarily the real deal in the, in the, in the long-term end, right? Yep. And yep. so that becomes important then is because... In our evangelical world, a, a system was developed. This is what you need to understand. A system began to happen. That's the emphasis I want to make, is that you have this methodology that's been passed down. People are just doing this thing. And again, you can read the history of it on your own. But um, now we have this problem. We have masses of people that look like they're coming forward to whatever you want to call it. Pray to receive Christ, respond to the altar call, whatever it is. But there's just not much result in the end. Yeah. Okay, and again, remember, that was a contrast in Nettleton where 90% were still in the churches years later. Right, Literally right. in tens of thousands, they counted them. Um, right. Now we got tens of thousands coming forward, but you come back three, four, five years later, and there's there's nothing there. Okay, right. that, that really is real. That's real history. Okay. So yep. there's this dilemma. So let's, let me just jump ahead now to the 19, say the 1950s. Okay. So early mm -hmm. 1900s, you got Mordecai Ham. Now we got Billy Graham and this sort of thing happened. Let's go to the fifties, maybe even in the sixties. Um, there were some early men that gathered together that were, again, lovely men that wanted the gospel to go to the world. Yep. And I know one of the men who has been a friend and a mentor of mine back from a, a number of years ago was one of the first men that ever came on staff with Campus Crusade. His name was Gordon Clink. And it was really fun to talk to Gordon uh, about the history of things that happened. He, t he told me one time about the gathering. There was Bill Bright and Dawson Trotman and Billy Graham and Gordon and a bunch of these guys talking about, and, and, and their desire was just to get the gospel to the world. I mean, these, yeah, are God, yeah. these were godly men, man. But they are writing this methodology, right? That's, that's the yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. So we're not, again, like you said earlier, wonderful. I mean, these guys, when the procession comes, in the new heaven, the new earth, the end time, the judgment, they're going to be way ahead of me, okay? So <laughs> I have no critique of these men at all about anything about the character. We're just talking about the method. I, again, hear what yep. I'm not, don't hear what I'm not saying. So they want the gospel to go to the world, but they got this problem. The problem is, is they've inherited this way of thinking about evangelism that says, here's, present the gospel, get people to pray this pray, prayer, convince them that they're, they have assurance now because they've said this prayer, and... The problem is, both with the Billy Graham, which has already been acknowledged, it doesn't look like all these masses of decisions are holding, if you will. They're not, they don't look real. Mm. And the same thing's happening on the campuses with these new men, Dawson Trotman with Navigators and, and uh, Billy, Bill Bright. You know, we're, we're getting a lot of people responding, but, you know, what, there's, there's a problem here. So out of integrity, they said, we've got to solve this problem. Yeah. Of the, so they came up with a system called follow-up, see? 
Yeah, yeah. Okay, follow follow up. Okay, now the reason I say that is think about this in, in this order. In in your evangelical world, I've had lots of training, heard guys talk this way. You tend to think of these 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 sections. You tend to think of pre-evangelism. Mm-hmm. Right. Then you kind of draw a line, and now you go to evangelism, and then you draw a line. Mm-hmm. And you got follow up, which is kind of the beginning. You supposedly just came to Christ, and now a line that we call discipleship. Yeah. yeah. Now we already talked it in an earlier session. We kind of divide all these things out, right? So it almost like evangelism is not discipleship. And I make the I make the contention that if I start with my Bible, I think the whole thing's discipleship. Sure. I think making disciples is bringing the gospel to people, and when they actually are converted, regenerated, the Holy Spirit seals them, the Holy Spirit's with them, and now we continue to help them, teach them to obey Christ. And to me, yep. even so in a certain way, and I know what people, they don't necessarily, like, but in a certain way, conceptually, at least theologically, me spending time with an unbeliever, opening the word with him, and I have guys I do that with right now that I don't think are regenerated yet, but they, they, I got a number of guys meeting with me for a year and a half, two years, opening the scriptures every week. You mm-hmm. know, um, I, I think of that as discipleship. I don't really think they're in sure. some of them, from my perspective, I go, I don't know if they even know the Lord yet, really, but sure. they, they want to meet. Okay, so. so these guys had this process. The other thing that I think is valuable in this discussion is so they develop this follow-up process okay and so billy graham adopts this and all these guys adopt this kind of oh we need follow-up that was the conclusion yeah, yeah. that was see and and of course it kind of begs a question maybe maybe the way you're thinking about evangelism and conversion should be rethought instead mm-hmm. of getting people mm-hmm. to respond and then say we need to come up with something now maybe it's because they're not really converted right i mean and i'm begging right. the question i'm kind of you know tipping my hand but that's but it's a little more, we need a system. And again, their heart is, let's reach the world. Now, during the same time, I find it interesting. I bring this up a lot. It's kind of a fun thing to think about. I would tell anybody that's kind of interested in what I'm talking about, just, just go watch the movie, I think probably on Netflix or something, The Founder, about Ray Kroc and the development of McDonald's. Right. Now, again, nothing pejorative, nothing negative. It's just fascinating to me. In the same exact time frame, that these ministries, Campus Crusade, Navigators, some of the other uh, parachurch ministries are developing, is the same time that McDonald's came into existence through Ray Kroc's yep. through a dream and vision. And of course, McDonald's is all over the world. But when you watch that film, it's fascinating. You know, he's looking at all these restaurants, they're serving all these different foods. He comes to this conclusion, you know, even, even in that movie, they show him looking at steeples of churches. Fascinating, right? Because what he envisioned was golden arches on every street corner. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, hey, hey, and that's what we have today. It's fascinating, right? Oh, but we literally do. We're gonna you go saturate, to a different country, and they're all over there too. We're gonna saturate the world with McDonald's, right? Okay, and then the other thing in that is this efficiency. Again, think of a culture mm. of people thinking, maybe even mechanically. I'm not trying to say it all pejorative, but they're thinking of machinery, modern man, uh, yep. a little less existential, experiential. Let's just boom, 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 boom. Come up with a yep, yep. process, industrial revolution, and then assembly machi- line. Just yeah, machinery. There you go. Okay, that's kind of happening. And all these guys, I mean, they're just a product of their culture. And so, yeah. what happens? These ministries start thinking. And I call it burgers, fries, and shakes. Yep. You know, we don't need all that theology. We don't need all that stuff. We don't need. We just need boom, boom, boom. Here's these three tools. You know, share this. This one tool let's get everybody doing it there's a strength in that everybody at least is sharing the same thing 
You know, sure. don't deviate from that. Let's measure that. It's measurable. Uh, we're going to now do now come up with a set of a, a, a tool that says this is follow up tool. And yep. those guys, again, sitting in that room, in a sense, what ended up happening, they all kind of shared follow-up. And then yep. we're going to have another set of t- tools called discipleship. Yep. Well, that's that's all a methodology. That's all I'm trying oh, to say. Totally and we adopted it. We kind of accepted it into the evangelical world as a whole. Yep. And it kind of happened. Okay? That's 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 all my point is. And when I all, yep. all I want to do just, is just... step back away from it for a moment and go, let's think about it. Yep, did, exactly. Did God use it? He absolutely used it. Uh, did God, people come to Christ? Absolutely. Was the world influenced? Yep. Absolutely. So I want everybody yep. to hear me say that. Not even question that. But I think there's a place to step back and go, huh, could we do it differently? Is there some other ways? Yeah. Do I live in a new world, which I'm going to get to in a moment here, and I'd say I do. And I don't think the burger, fries, and shakes works like it used to. And I think sure. you, you know that. So so let me go to another place. Let's start moving up then. Uh, uh I saw this happening in my own world. There was I was part of a church in California. I was responsible for, they had this wonderful event they did called Bethlehem Marketplace where they would transform the church into like a six or eight week presentation. And out in California, you have a lot of outside grounds around your churches. And it would be, mm-hmm. they, they would have people come and you take them in a room. They put these robes on them and transport them back to the days of the birth of Christ. Sure. And you'd walk around this place. And it was like a market, like a Bethlehem market. I mean, the meat was hanging there, sides of beef and the smells and the odors. And all the guys in the church would grow beards and look like they're from that era. I mean, it was just a beautiful <laughs> Hollywood picked up on it. I read articles in some magazines. I mean, this was a big production. But yeah. They, but they asked me, they said, I remember the pastor uh, when I got when I was there ministering in that community, working on my seminary degree, and I was an intern, if you will, in that church, and given this responsibility, he said, "I'm I'm just disappointed because we have all these people that respond." Because at the end, they'd give this gospel presentation. You know, mm. uh, we have all these people respond, but there's like no, you know, we don't really see them come to the church. We don't have any. So we sat down, went back to the drawing board, and put together an incredible system. I mean, if you when you think of follow up and pragmatically, just method. I can't even hardly imagine a better system. We went, we took all the, I mean, I can't, I can't even tell you how many people we put through training. But the training was specifically sure. was even different than you think. Each person was responsible to bring people to the event. When the people responded yep. at the event to apparent movement towards the gospel, they literally put on their card who brought them. Okay. Right. Uh, the people who brought them then were responsible for the quote unquote follow up. If that person yep. felt inadequate to do follow up, by the way, we gave training for everybody to do follow, but there were some people maybe felt inadequate. They at least were then given a name of somebody like in their neighborhood who could do the follow-up right. that they could bring this person to. I mean, this whole thing was a relationally thought through. Well-oiled machine. Well-oiled machine for the whole prior year. And I was the guy, the center, the coordinator of this whole thing. Yep. And when it was all said and done, with all of that and all the training and everything we did, wonderful gospel went out to all these people. Same thing. I want to be positive about it. But if you're just asking the question, what's the end result? I can't remember now, but again, we're in the hundreds of people that responded to the gospel. And I think when it was all said and done, at least in small groups, we could account for about 30 that actually ended up by showing up in a small group, even with all those relational connections. And after yeah. after that, I think we as a church might have gained five or six. It was between five and ten people. Whether they were, who knows where they're at today. But when I was said and done, say six months later, a year later, you'd say, okay, we can count seven people. So a lot of effort, a lot of energy, brought the church together, great blessing, a lot of people involved, 
don't want to take that away from anything. But at the same time, spend a lot of time, a lot of resources, a lot of to see seven people come to your church. In yep. the church. And so it's like, huh, that's it's it's you know, it's at least worth having a discussion about, right? And then the next yep. next discussion I would tell you then is I traveled in the nineties and I'm to this day still good friends with uh, uh, a man by the name of Rich Carell. Now, Rich, mm-hmm. uh, had you'd have to do a podcast with him and tell you more detail, but he was associated at a period of time in his early ministry years. So this would have been the uh, early, maybe, yeah, uh, let me think about this, early 90s, with a mass evangelist kind of guy, kind of a mini Billy Graham, he's by the name of John Guest. Okay, John Guest, just think of a mini, mini Billy Graham. More regional, certain people knew him, not as well-known as yep. Billy Graham. And John Guest, the specific thing I'm going to talk about, apart from different types of crusades, that's what they were called. Remember, these big mass gatherings are called the right, crusade. Right. Uh, he went to the, this was right after the Soviet wall came down, early 90s. Fascinating time, all these ministries flooded in over there. Okay, they really did. Billy Graham, when he flooded in there, it was fascinating to watch on TV. He'd give an altar call and literally the place would empty. Tens of thousands of people running forward at these crusades. Yeah. And we're over here going, man, you know, supernatural revival awakening. And and I, I no question. Again, gospel's going out, lots happening. But in the end, you had to ask, start asking questions. What are these people responding to? And Rich, yeah. Rich had a very personal experience with this because he literally was the guy that went over there to set up the follow system, follow-up system ahead of time like they do. You know, they send a coordinator into a city like the Billy Graham Association. Yep. Years ahead, some t- cases, you know, and coordinate like a whole system to kind of collect the fruit from this yeah, crusade. Yeah. Well, Rich was that guy that did that. And he went over to the Ukraine, sharp guy, sharp business guy, uh, spiritual man, godly man, set up an entire system over there. And I can't remember 9, 10, 12, 14, 17,000 people responded to the gospel. When it was all said and done, all the things were done, the dust settled a couple years later. I remember Rich, and I don't know what the number is today, but he could literally account for three or four or 500 or something of this sure. 10 or 12,000 people. Sure. And, and he just was really disappointed. And it was, uh, I don't want to say despondency, but it was a really like, I got to go back to the drawing board. And what Rich did is he went back to the drawing board, meaning the Bible, and started studying history. Uh, mm. Book of mm. Acts, the work of Paul, and he came to yep. the conclusion: what we need to do is is more organic. Really, it's a Nettleton thing, even though at that time Rich is probably not thinking Nettleton, right? But for Rich specifically, it's church planning. We need to yep. go into a community and evangelize these people, and when they look like they're responding, they brought into a small community of people, and then out of that community of people, you plan a church. And yep. so even to this day, Rick is, uh, Rich is very heavy in what he calls even primitive churches, meaning he just wants it like simple church, a group of believers that are really converted and they're, you know, growing in the sac, you know, growing together in the scriptures and the sacraments and ministering together. And to this day, he's been doing that in, you know, the former Soviet Union, particularly Ukraine for whatever it is mm-hmm. now, 40, mm-hmm. what would that be? 30, well, we're pushing a lot of years now, aren't we? 30 years, 30 some years. Sure. 30 years, I guess. Um, and when I traveled in the 90s with him, even then, within 10 years of him making this movement towards this kind of new work, you know, he was seeing 100 churches planted a year. Yeah, it's and crazy. You, and you could walk, and I went with him. I traveled. I spoke. I did these workshops, and we would literally go into a small community, and here's this new church, just like a Nettleton thing. You'd see 67 people, and here's this, you know, 
11 new believers. You know what I mean? There they were. You know, I, I, yep. went in, I went in, I remember going in one village and the only church in that village was this handful of these older women and their children and one older guy. And they met in this little home. It was like seven or eight, 10 people. That was, that was sure. the church, you know? And so Rich went back to that drawing board. Um, so this brings about a fascinating discussion though, doesn't it? Like, Oh, it does. So we have a method that we have adopted. We've kind of just accepted in our evangelical world. And there's a place to stop for a minute and step back and say, okay, is this the best way? Is this yep. strengths, weaknesses? We could talk about it theological. Um, I came to the conclusion personally, at least my calling and work in life, there was an easier way. We spent so much time and effort, like when I remember that issue out in California. It was, again, it was wonderful. It involved the whole church. But when it was said and done, I'm like, man, give me some relationships with people. I'll go to the local jail. I'll have some people in my home. I'll go join the archery club and I'll end up with five or 10 people probably. <laughs> yep. Or we can put all this effort and end up with the same thing. So all my point was is like, if you go back to the drawing board, most of the world was reached, not with mass crusades, actually. Yeah. It, it's this organic relationship in a community with people. Exactly. And, um, and there's something to be said about it. You know, something is said about a small absolutely. group and an affinity group and this organic kind of thing. And so um, that's where I, you know, then spent a lot of my life. When I moved here to Kansas, part of what I came here to do was what's it look like for an evangelist to live in a community here and have an influence on a community? Yep. On a guy's in the jail, yep. on a campus, on some businessmen, on some tradesmen. Yep. And again, I have we we laughed last time. I only have another hundred stories I could tell you of just right. really exactly. fun stories. Exactly. It's just, it's just and, and and then when I go to other countries now, and Rich Carell had a great influence on me in the 90s and thinking that all through and then studying it for myself. Like when you, you've traveled with me, uh, when I go to these other countries, I really, you know, my training is evangelism and church planning. I think that, and when I say church planning, that's what I mean. I don't mean a big building. I mean like you gather these Christians and you grow and you teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, but you're looking for real converts. You're looking for conversion. Yep. And you're not yep. looking for a mass look. See, and the problem with the mass thing is it gets kind of weird. I, I, I give a talk. I think you've heard me speak on it, Sam. I call the evangelical dance. It's yep. like you go up and do this performance thing. And I again, don't take that too negative. I just mean you do your thing. All these people respond. And frankly, it looks like a lot of energy and a lot of something's happening is what it looks like. Yep. And people throw money at that thing, man. There's a oh, lot of money. Man. And I'm not, I'm not trying to go negative even there, but you can see why. People would, hey, I want to be part of that. So how could you ever have the honest critique then? Let's honestly ask the question of what's happening here because all of a sudden you got this machinery that's operating. That's why I call it the evangelical dance that you got to get up and do it again to yep. keep this machinery going. And I just was like, get me, off, get, get, get me off the treadmill. I just want to go relate to real people in a real community and see people come to Christ. And again, I share these names with you because as I went down this road, I started finding, and I would say, yeah, I, I like the Nettleton thing, man. Like, yep. I mean, he was so, well, he was, he was so anti-being a celebrity. This is what's fascinating. Instead of being yeah. a name that everybody knows. Seriously, I've read stuff where... In a community, if all of a sudden he started looking like a celebrity and people wanted to come here in Nettleton, mm. he'd pack up and leave. Like he, they, mm. they, would, they would get up on a given morning after he'd been there three weeks and they'd go, well, where's Nettleton? Oh, he left. Because yep. he, he wanted the emphasis on that local pastor and that local church. 
Right. And that's my world. I'm very cautious even here in the community to the best I can be. I want people settled. And I love it when some young guys come here to plant churches. Like, I'm going to point people to them. Yeah. yeah. Because I want that thing there. I don't want people yeah. following me in that sense. I'm not setting up a big system. And that was the other part of the follow-up. Think of this. On a practical level, personally, I'm a young guy in ministry. I'm learning the system, pre-evangelism, evangelism, follow-up, discipleship. This was another one of the conflicts I had. Okay, so I see this guy. It looks like he responds to the gospel. I do the pre-evangelism. Now I'm responsible for the follow-up. Oh, yep. now I'm responsible for quote-unquote discipleship. Now all of a sudden this guy, uh, he has an alcohol problem, let's say. okay, And yep. he has a wife who's not a Christian. Uh, yep. He's got, am I supposed to supply all of this stuff? And now... Instead of going and sharing the Christ with people, I got 11 guys I'm supposed to care for. And if I don't care for them, I'm told that I'm not doing fair evangelism. I'm you know, going to, I just want a decision, you know? And I'm like, yep. no, I, I don't want just a decision. I don't even think in those terms. What that guy needs, though, is he needs a community of believers that can minister to him from all different church. angles. He needs a church. He needs to he, get plugged he needs into somebody a body. For his, he needs somebody for his wife. He needs somebody for his kids. And so and I've, I've even heard it said, if you catch him, you clean him. Yeah, there is. They have all these terms. And that was another yep. one. Oh, you got you just want aborted decisions. They would use that term. I think it's an awful term, but I got the point. You know, they made a decision, but they really weren't real. And it was, you just want to get decisions and tell everybody. I've been I've even been accused of that when I say, oh, I'm comfortable going to jail and never seeing these guys again. Or I'm comfortable yep. doing an open air they think, oh, because you just you're easy believism. No, I don't believe in any of that. I don't believe in easy believism. I don't believe in I, I I reject that. I reject the idea of just I want just decisions. As we've been trying to build this whole frame, Sam, from the beginning, I want to proclaim the gospel to people. Right. And and then as they come to faith in Christ, they're God's sheep, he will take them into a community. He that began the good work will complete it. Now, I've yep. already shared. I help facilitate that where I can. I have relationships with guys that aren't Christians. Well, and or... here's the thing: we're all limited. Yeah, like right. again, I can only I can only invest deeply in discipleship and teaching somebody to observe and yep. obey all that God has commanded. Yep. I can only do that with a handful of guys on a on a regular basis. That's my point. And if and I'm it... also participating in a consistent evangelistic ministry where I'm seeing more people come to Christ, I can't just keep piling yep. that on like i'm going to disciple all these guys like no that's impossible right that's what the local church is for that's what getting plugged into a body's for that's what getting under good expository preaching where you're hearing the word preached on a weekly basis right see now like in fairness the mass evangelism guys that would be maybe yep. more excited about it than i am right now um they would say the same thing though that's why they're trying to develop the follow-up let's be fair they, yeah they, they do but i think inherent in the system there's some roadblocks to it happening effectively that's that's yeah, more the point because they actually have the same heart they, they would like to leave right. behind a bunch of people in the church there's no question franklin graham right. is rock solid that he wants the church to grow i don't have a doubt in my mind i'm just saying we're talking about methods right now right that's what yep. i said i'm not critiquing a man i'm not critiquing a theology even though there are theological ramifications i'm sitting back going maybe there's better ways to do this well and i i, I even even just trying to you know, it's not like we're left just to try to figure out in our own mind. Well, let's think about a new, th is there a better way? Is there a better system? It's like, no, we have been revealed truth. And God says this is sufficient for us to equip us for every good work. Yep. Second Timothy chapter three, 16 to 17. Yep. This is sufficient. 
so if we look at Second Timothy, I mean, chapter three, let's jump down to verse, you know, sixteen. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for the training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And I mean, evangelism definitely falls under every good work. So what we have in the scriptures, what we have revealed in the scriptures, the examples were given in the scriptures on evangelism, all that we have in here will make us complete, equipped for every good work. So that's where I'd start to get skeptical of when when guys get together in a group and yes, they have good heart, they have good intentions, they want to get the gospel up, but then they start just brainstorming ways. Well, what can we do? What can we do? What can we do? When in all reality, well, let's open our Bibles up and Dan's been saying, let's go back to the drawing board, the drawing board being the Bible. And what did the apostles do? What did the disciples do? What? How did they do this stuff? What kind of, what do we see in the scriptures? And it's not like we're left us to invent things as though it's like we haven't been given anything to know how to save people. <laughs> I mean. Well, there's a classic book that um, influenced Rich Krell. Remember I told you, okay, he saw this. Again, yep. went back to the drawing board and said, huh, I, I want to reevaluate what's actually going on. Yep. Um, and he, he, uh, he arrived at a book. I mean, this book's written, goodness, 80 years ago, I think, or something, uh, by Roland Allen. And again, mm-hmm. if you're interested in this sort of thing, you're going to find this old book that's kind of fun to read. It was called uh, Missionary Methods, St. Paul's or Ours. And he does a very de- he does a very detailed study of what Paul did in the Book of Acts, right down yep. to the timeline. You 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 know cross reference all the scriptures and with the epistles, it's kind of fun. I mean, I can't even remember it all. It's just like it details all this stuff. And what you end up with is that, and we'll probably get to this when we talk about apologetics, especially the idea of parachurch, is what yep. Paul did is he took the gospel to new places and left behind churches. And when I say churches, I'm not talking about buildings. I'm talking about groups of people, right? And and, and I mean you and you shared examples of of just some of those examples in Acts that Paul did. He's just talking yeah. to people. He's like yeah. having a conversation with the philosophers, but, right? But but that's the evangelism. What I'm saying though is you 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 caught what I said. But the, his method was to leave behind a church, right? A group right. of that believers. Was, you could say the the follow up method was yep. a church exactly. is planted. A group of believers get together. They preach the word. They take yep. the sacraments, yep. the fellowship. They had the yep. word. They had the word. Of course, they had the Holy Spirit. It was the real yep. deal. They had the word. Yep. They had the sacraments. They had the teaching. It's known as the faith, the doctrine, fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith. And he appointed. Yep. He appointed leaders there. You know, elders. Leaders. Yep. And yep. so found men it, that were qualified and appointed could be leaders. ten people, twelve people, fifteen, seventeen people, whatever. Yep. But that is that was how. Uh, Paul did evangelism that led to this whole process and it left behind churches. So I'm just yeah, trying to yeah. emphasize to you, Sam, that if you were just to exactly. take your Bible, and I, I think God teaches us stuff beyond, we obviously we live in a day that we have to apply scriptures and it doesn't mean there aren't yep. other methods and things. But if you were just to take your Bible and sit down and say, well, what did this look like for these guys? Yeah. See, that was my struggle even in my early days. Uh, talk about making a decision or praying a prayer. I'd go through the scripture. I'm going, man, I, I don't find in here somebody praying a prayer. Right. I mean, really. Yeah, you I don't mean, see it. It doesn't mean they weren't called to, to trust Christ. They were called to turn right. from their sin and trust Christ. That was always and it, the and call. And it might mean that they do pray. 
Yeah, that's what I mean. So I'm not even against the idea that say, hey, this person really wants to respond to God. And we say, here, here here's a way that you could express your desire to God. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a place for that. But I'm really cautious. Like, you know, I think I shared when we did a, some other stuff on this method. It's like the jail deal. Like, I don't have guys with pray with me. I think I, I probably could get a bunch of guys to pray with me. I have to be honest. I, I think I could because they are looking for an answer because yep. they're in a crisis. They're going to go to prison and they, exactly. want, God on, they want God on their side. And so it right. kind of like a vending machine, you know. I'm not sure they really know Christ. I'm not sure they're serious right. with God. I don't know. So I don't give them even the opportunity. I say, you go to your cell and turn. I will pray for you. I always pray for them that they would trust Christ, that they would turn yep. from their sin. And, you know, and then I take men that I mentor, if you will, comrades. Yep. I mean, I suppose I mentor in some ways. I just... They're peers with me, but I take men with me, and some weeks they pray for them. You know, but the point is, yep. we're going to pray for you, and this is what we want you to do: go back yep. to your cell, get on your face before God, turn from your sin, and trust Christ. Here's some scriptures right. to read, and I, I actually right. do that on purpose. You know, I mean, that's right. I mean that is. And, 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 go ahead, right? Because it's coming off of a theology. It's coming off of yep. what do we see in the Bible, and what we see in the Bible is that yep. is that when we don't see this pray the prayer. We see that God is the one that takes this gospel message, and if this is a lost sheep, he's going to make that gospel message in an effectual message, and he's going to regenerate their heart. The Spirit's going to come in, and what do we—we we talked about this earlier on, you know, First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. And Paul says, and I and I know you're chosen because the the gospel came not only in word but in power yep. and the Holy Spirit in full conviction. You're yeah. convicted of your sins, and God changes you. Yeah, it's not it's not because you prayed a prayer. It's not because you know you did this or came up to cross the line or you know came forward in a big event and right. you know, blah 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 blah. It yeah. has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with you. That's it. Nothing to do with you. Nothing to do with the evangelist. The gospel is preached. If you're a lost sheep, God's going to change your heart. He's going to save you, and you're going to be saved whether you went forward or not. If you're if you're one that's going to be truly saved, it doesn't matter. So what what the problem is is okay. Well, why are you laboring it? Why are you critiquing it? Because th this is what you end up seeing, and you see it a lot. You get somebody. Let's just say they pray to prayer in college. Happens all the time. You lead them through a track. There's a prayer at the end, and I mean, this is what's ticks me off a little bit. Is that okay. they'll yeah. even be they'll be even be wording in the in the track that says, "You can trust Christ right now through prayer," and you go. Through prayer, I thought we're saved through faith. Through faith. Mm -hmm. And then the even the wording on the track makes it seem as though this prayer is this magical, special way in which salvation is given to you, that you have lay hold of salvation through this avenue of prayer. No, salvation, the righteousness of Christ, comes through the avenue of faith. And faith is given to us by God. So it has nothing to do with you. So it just gets really dangerous. And then you, let's say 20 years from down the road, you'll hear people say, well, they'll be questioning their salvation. They're like, I don't know if I'm a Christian. They'll doubt their faith. They'll blah, 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 blah. And and they go, but I prayed a prayer. Right. So I should be good. Yeah. And then somebody mm -hmm. will say, well, did you pray a prayer? And they'll go, well, yeah, I prayed the prayer. And they go, well, I'll see you're saved. Well, well, or here's the other one that goes with that, Sam. Not trying to throw gasoline on your fire, but I will. <laughs> oh, man, but, yeah. but this will. The other one will be, well, how sincere were you? Are you really, really, really sincere <laughs> about the right. prayer? I've had people do that. I'm like, well, okay, so how yeah. sincere do I need to be? Like, it's like, yeah. how do you measure that? Like, right. I don't, I don't uh, know how you measure it. Pretty so, sincere, I think. Yeah. So again, here's the thing, though, that, that I hope people catch in this podcast 
um, if I was teaching this in a class, this would be a key part of my summary. It would be like things happen in the context of history. Yeah. That's why I was emphasizing history. And this thing kind of happened, thinking back Whitfield, Wesley, an event in a community, eventually Finney, then Mordecai Ham, blah, blah, blah. This thing happened in history, okay? Yep. yep. And now let's, let's just, without getting too far ahead right now, but I live in a secular day. Let me just say that. Yeah. I think, I, I, I would actually say, and I know this is just a podcast in our opinion, but I'd say for somebody to try to come to Lawrence, Kansas, the university town, and have some yeah. kind of a crusade like this, I don't think it's the most effective thing we could do. Now, somebody yeah. else may feel God's calling us to do that. I'll let them wear yeah. some. But if you'd ask me, I just would say, I think there's more effective ways that we could be engaged in this community yeah. using the same resources and the same money that I actually think would be more to the guts and the effectiveness of the work. When I say effectiveness, I don't mean more decisions, but I think in the grassroots or organics of life, I think they would be much more effective. I actually yep. really do. And so, so I'm gonna, and part, let me just say this. Yep, you can, but here's part of the deal. We have to recognize, we, and this will get us eventually to apologetics, I know, yep, but we will. live in a secular day. Remember, Yep. we started with this idea of, of we are to be ambassadors with this gospel, and there's something about reading the people and understanding the the people that we're taking the gospel to, right? Right. Well, I'm not convinced that a stadium crusade event can reach my city. If I was, I'd be in it. I'd be going. Let's go do it. It doesn't mean I don't believe in evangelism. It don't you know not proclamation. That's not my. Obviously, I believe in that. I just don't think right. it, I think it's a methodology that we have adopted almost like, you know, they talk about these sacred cows within a church, like a system. It's like, I don't want to overstate it, but it's like Judaism developed the tradition of the elders and all these ideas yep. that were like added on to the, the whole deal, you know? And it's like, yeah, no. And so I'm even saying the idea of pre-evangelism, evangelism, follow-up, discipleship. I think that is one of those kinds of things that had its place that in principle makes sense. I understand it. I could even make a biblical case for parts of it. But I don't think it's so cut and dry, draw a line, go do this process, especially in the day that we live. That's part yeah. of my point. And so I think yeah. we need to come back to the drawing board and say, what are we really after here? And that's what I've chosen to do, at least in a small, simple way in my own life and my right. own ministry in Lawrence, Kansas. And I'm just a small guy and, a, you know, just a, one little tiny guy here. But um, I think it's worth thinking about. Right. Right. So go ahead then, so, Sam. Yeah. So, here, I mean, here, here are my, you know, Dan, Dan gave his, uh, you know, experiences with these large group events. You know, I, I worked with crew for a year and I was a part of some big event stuff, too. And mm -hmm. just my my... You know, my observations. I'm just making observations. I'm looking at what I saw, what I experienced. Yeah. So here, one of the events that we did at NDSU was we brought in a world-renowned illusionist. Oh, yeah. You know, he, yep, he's a world-renowned illusionist. He's a Christian. He has a pretty incredible testimony, like cool story, and he's great at magic. Like before he became a Christian, he was, you know, he was one of the top dogs in the in the magician world, illusionist world, like traveling the world, doing a magic show. So what's the event? We promote this magic show. It's promoted as a magic show, as an illusionist show. You're going to see a world-renowned illusionist. We're going to promote it 
to beat heck. We're going to put up posters. We're going to put up thing stickers on napkin things in the dining center. We're, we're, we made all these t-shirts and we're going to wear t-shirts that advertise it. We're going to make chapstick things and we're going to put, you know, the information for the event on these chapstick things and we're going to distribute chapstick, you know, all these different things, you know, come, you know, Sky's the limit. How are we going to advertise this? We're going to, we need to fill this venue. We have a thousand seats in this venue and we're going to fill it. And so, I mean, we, I mean, I remember when I was working with crew and I mean, I did a lot of evangelism, personal evangelism, one-on-one conversations with people, discipleship, little preaching and teaching, you know, leading Bible studies, things like that. And I was never more stressed out in that, that year than when I had to administratively plan for the, this giant event just just swamped me just so many moving parts so much things going on so much things to juggle just a lot going on a lot of pressure because it, it was like it's like we need to fill this if we don't fill a thousand seats then we failed we filled a thousand seats it worked people came you know pack the event pack the event Event goes on. It was a great magic show. I mean, it's awesome. It's just sweet. This is cool stuff. Like anybody want, would want to see this magic show. And then he gives the opportunity. Hey, I'm going to transition to the gospel, to my testimony. I'm going to talk about God. He gives people the opportunity just to leave if they want. You know, certain people leave, like want nothing, nothing to do with the religious stuff. Most people stay. He shares the gospel, shares his testimony. It's great. Gospel is shared. And then there's all these contact cards. Okay, fill out the contact card if you want. To, if you want to indicate that you, um, you know, want to be followed up with, or if you want to receive Christ, or you came to Christ, you know, mark it on your contact card. So out of a out of a thousand people, we had about 120 people notify on the contact card that they wanted that they either came to Christ or they wanted to be followed up with. Now we went through extensive lengths filing these, filtering these, and as quickly as possible contacting these people with a text message or an email or something. Right. Or a phone call. Right. And a- after all is said and done, after all was said and done, mm-hmm. I think we literally only had one person that actually showed fruit of conversion. One out of a thousand. Can I ask you how many, do you remember how many people like looked like they might have responded? 120 people on the contact cards responded said they received then, christ or prayed a prayer or yeah, whatever something yeah, yep. something yeah or that they want to be followed after yeah. weeks of weeks of trying to contact these 120 people right only one person really kind of showed like yeah hey, maybe something happened here maybe god saved this person yeah and then a, a similar event and i mentioned nick hall and this happened just a year ago another if, if, if fca fields of faith event this happened these happen a lot Gather all these high school students. We're going to have a big event, maybe a thousand people, a couple thousand people. We're going to have sweet music, local music, but, you know, they're really talented musicians. And then Nick Hall is going to share a message. And right, Don't you have testi- testimonies with it, too? Athletic yeah, testimonies. testimonies with it, too. Yeah. Um, and then there's 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 leaders who are designated who they will, once the, the, the call has been made, hey, you can respond by coming down and praying with someone. Yeah. And you have all these people dispersed on the on the floor of the stadium. Um, and then people can come down from the, from the seats and pray with people. Mm-hmm. And then it's the typical thing. It's like a, a couple people start filtering down and it like it like creates this like almost emotional excitement. And then before you know it, everybody's down. Literally everybody hmm. is most people are down praying with someone 
and it's a sweet thing. Looks cool, but again, I mean, I don't, I'm not with FCA, so I don't know what the fruit was. Some people it changed, but other people, most of the time, it's just like, hmm. did all this work? Did all this planning? Mm-hmm. I don't know. My task with the whole thing and was I took the 20 leaders that were standing at the bottom to pray with people, and I trained them in the the gospel for 30 minutes before the event. I said, when people come down to you, the best thing that you can really do is reshare the gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I mean, we need the gospel preached. Yep. So in most cases, they're just going to be emotionally charged up. Yeah. And what I want is I want you to be equipped to be able to reshare or re-explain or answer these questions, you know, if they have them. Yeah. And so I trained them in the gospel. So hopefully there was some good fruit coming from those more smaller conversations happening at the end. But, you know, that's just that was just my experience. And I just a lot of money, a lot of stress, a lot of marketing mm-hmm. for and, and, and here's what here's my fear. And this is kind of just go on a soapbox right now is that, again, it's this whole idea. Well, I prayed a prayer. I went up. I did this. I did that. And and these people just they wrestle with their salvation the rest of their life in a sense and they think they're saved they don't think they're saved they blah 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 and you kind of have a Matthew seven thing going on oh Lord Lord didn't we do this in your name didn't we you know cast out demons didn't you, we did many mighty works we did this he goes depart from me I never knew you mm-hmm. and so you there is a reality that at the end you know at the judgment there will be a lot of people and he says many will say Lord Lord did we not. Well, blah, 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 blah. you could just say sheep and goats, right? Exactly. There'll be there'll be sheep and goats. Well, and then another parable is yeah. you know you, you have the field and the wheat and weeds. So good seed, yep. and then the enemy comes and sows weeds. Yep. And he goes, well, don't pull up the weeds yet. When we come to harvest, we'll separate them and we'll burn the weeds at the end. So there's this reality that at judgment, there's going to be all these people. I mean, just in general, the goats are are the non-elect. They're the people that were not saved. And then the sheep are the people that were saved in, in their life. And there's going to be a separation. And there's going to be many people who think that they're sheep when in all actuality they're goats. They, they actually do think they're Christians. They actually do think they're saved. They actually do think that they're going to enter into heaven one day. Lord, Lord, like, did we not? Like they're surprised. There's this. There's this. And Jesus is telling you know these people this in Matthew seven. P- many are going to come to me saying this, like really thinking they're saved. Mm-hmm. And he's going to say, "I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness." So, what what my fear is, and he, understand where I'm coming from. I'm coming from this reality that. From what I see in scripture, my theology says that God will save his sheep and there's no way that he will not. And they will be saved. But what I don't want to do is I don't want to make a bunch of people who are not his sheep think they're sheep. In a sense. I mean, I, I, and and again, that's not that's not saying that the number of the elect is going to be disturbed or, or changed. But it's just saying like, I don't want to inoculate a bunch of people to the gospel by whipping them up in an emotional frenzy and thinking that they were saved because they had this crazy supernatural or spirit, you know, this experience at an event. And it tends to be that that, that emotional whipping up doesn't happen as much in just a one-on-one conversation about the gospel over coffee, where we're really talking about the nuts and the bolts, the truth, the content to the gospel. We're actually conversing about 
real barriers. Like, like, like somebody will tell me, well, you know, I don't know if I can believe God because, you know, when I was six, my mom and dad died in a car accident. How could a good God allow that to happen? And that's real. That's something really that they're feeling in their life. And I can actually respond to that in a real way, one-on-one and actually address that. Whereas at big venues, you end up seeing broad, general things, um, and and you you tend to it, it tends to not all not all the not all the time, and I'm not saying like this is just the case for everybody, but there is a I feel like there's a an opportunity in these large events where we want to gather a bunch of people where you start to have a man centered gospel, where you start to say, you know, your life sucks, you're depressed, you you're full of stress. Blah 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 blah. Come to Christ because it's going to it's going to make your life better, you know. And in a real sense, truly coming to Christ does make your life better, but not in a not in that type of way, not in a temple type of way. It doesn't mean you're going to be rich. Doesn't mean you're going to have the best job. Doesn't mean you're not going to be stressed. Doesn't mean you're not going to have yeah. depression. Um, isn't that the problem? Isn't that the problem? It's 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 also part of the system. And again, we want to think it yep. through very clearly. But you and I, I think, talked about this. But this gets to be a little bit of the conflict with um, the idea of testimony. Exactly. You know, you know, even in the mass thing, you'll have a testimony. That's kind of the normal yep. thing, too. You have somebody speak a testimony. Well, usually you want to get somebody that's a celebrity or somebody that has some yep. compelling story. And let's just, again, be honest and say there are some compelling stories. And there's some powerful, oh, powerful testimonies in life. There really are. But, yep. but, but, it, it can also be embarrassing. I've seen that over the years with athletes and different people. You have somebody give a testimony and then they fall off the wagon and you find out that yep. either they're not a believer or they just, you know, I was thinking, uh, I listen, actually listened to the testimony of Daryl Strawberry, you know, and I remember mm. that. I mean, now, I mean, he talks, I mean, he sounds like he's the real deal and a, a sanctified growing man. I heard him just recently. But he talks about his life in some embarrassment because I remember being maybe your age or something, Sam, when it looked like, he, or, you know, sometime after you, mm-hmm. when it looked like he was converted and he was running the circuit, you know, the testimony yep. circuit. And then, I mean, the guy had some struggles like we all do in his sanctification, you know, in his life. And yep. it was it was kind of embarrassing for him and for the evangelical world because, oh, we got to get right. that guy on the stage. Well, no. Maybe not. Maybe we we do that. We do a lot of that. We I'm not shifting gears, but we do that a lot with the with the sexuality issue. We oh, this guy used to be a homosexual. Oh, the guy's still struggling. He's got a tough life, you know. And and it's it, it turns into a bit of an embarrassment kind of thing. I mean, just like it it's not helpful. Yeah. It, so, no, it really isn't. And here's the so, thing I hear a lot. And can I can I throw one more the, on that though? I'm sorry. Let me just throw, yeah, throw one, one more on there. I'm, I'm coming back to a bigger principle I've been talking about, history and how things develop. If I live in a secular day yep. where, where, and I disagree with this, but where relativism reigns, yep. people are relativistic, yep. then even that you got a question about testimony, even if it's a great testimony and a real person and a real salvation and a real converted yeah. holy man or woman, the fact of the matter is somebody could look at it and go, well, that's nice for you. I heard the same. I heard a Buddhist say the same thing. <laughs> yep, I and I literally have heard people say this. Oh, I know some great Muslims. That's, okay, okay, got it. That's exactly what I was gonna say. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. And, yeah. Well, that, no, exactly. You fed right into me. It's like I, I I've heard this said so much. Like literally, really, really. 
well, I, they go, well, just share your testimony. Like, this is the evangelistic method. This is the, this is the, the answer all apologetic. This is the ultimate apologetic. Well, just share your testimony because nobody can tell you that your testimony is not true. Because it's your experience. I hear it all the time. Yeah. And I go, what? Whoa. But I can't, I, they also can't, they can't validate it. They're just taking my word for it that this is my experience and therefore now it's true for you. Right. And so coming back where's to the, every, Yep. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, where's the validation? Yep. We share the gospel that is grounded and you look, you look, you see it in the scriptures, you know, Everything's according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures. I validate the gospel according to the scriptures. This is from the scriptures, the gospel that I share is. I don't need to share some story that may or may not be true. This person, it's probably true. I'm sharing a testimony. It's true. But that person doesn't know that for certain. Right. It's like. Right. It gets back to, that's what I was going to emphasize. It gets back to what we've been talking about since the first session in this whole thing the gospel is knowledge it's it's yeah it's it's content that has yep. to be proclaimed and delivered now like we said i think we said it even a couple of times here we're not totally dismissing the reality that a story or a testimony can be a way of having a conversation and telling somebody no god really did influence my life and right. i i have no doubt that that's helped people see the gospel but it's not my testimony that's got any power no and see, we just think about just think about this again. If we could just step back without trying to be harsh, and just just step back and, and honestly look at this, it's part of the reason we're looking for some celebrity that looks like they're a conversion and gets their story out there, because yeah. we're looking for the powerful one that will have the power. And it's like, no, the power well, and the, the power's in the gospel. Exactly, and it's still it's still this this we're thinking through this framework. Why do we want the celebrity testimony? Because we want to gather masses of people. Right. If 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 we're promoting Sam Parada's testimony, five people are going to show up. You know, friends. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> like, yeah. Right. Like, yeah. who's going to show up? Yeah. You're not going to gather a bunch of people with my name. Yeah. Now you yeah now you promote like a legitimate celebrity. Yeah. Like people are gonna come because it's like this novelty thing. Oh man, I want to yep. see this person. And but at the end of the day, what's gathering these people? Like again, when we when we start to think about these mass events, kind of circling back to our a topic, it's what is promoted to gather these people are things that everybody likes to experience: music, a show. An illusionist, you know, some some like something that's entertaining. It's mm-hmm. about me. I want to be entertained. I want to go to U.S. Bank Stadium one because it's U.S. Bank Stadium and it's so a sweet building. I want to sit in those seats and be in that venue because it's cool. And everybody likes to hear a concert. Like that's why most people are going there. Well, it's funny concert, right? And it's funny, Sam, when you say that. Um... You know, I, I I hope we've done. You know, I haven't reviewed this, but I'm hoping that we are sharing our heart in this podcast. That yeah, again, we're not trying to critique people or the right-hearted desire for the right kind of thing. We're but we're be, trying to be honest and go. Let's think this through for a minute. Let's yep, take some time exactly because what we want is the very thing Paul talked about, like in Romans 15. You know, he said, I I I um, you know, I, I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, which you could say is yep. testimony, but what did he accomplish through him? It's the gospel. 
resulting, though, here, in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. Mm. I mean, what's the result? This person has actually changed in the way they speak. Actually changed. Actually speak, the way they talk. They've actually been changed. And here's and, and the problem then becomes, this is another one of these things if we have an honest critique. I've, I've, again, I'm speaking a little bit from my life here. Um, how do I say this? A lot of times, most of the people showing up for our Christian event are Christians. <laughs> we yep. say we want to reach the masses, but... It's the reason certain places where there's maybe more of a, at least a population that would claim Christ, yep. uh, those kinds of things in um, maybe more Midwest places that still have a little bit of a Judeo-Christian influence in the community have more of a look of a gathering because it's yep. pe people who... So here would be a, a good example. These, these, I don't say poor, I don't mean it that way, but these laborers, like at the university I live at, um, I want to see how I say this. They work really hard to try to reach a handful of people on a big university campus of 25,000. And a typical parachurch ministry in our campus here might be 25, 30, 50, 80, 100 people. Yep. You take that same ministry and drop it down maybe at NDSU or someplace, a lot of times ag schools where a lot of people are coming from a, a more conservative world, a more oh, Judeo-Christian yeah. world, if you want to say it that way. you got a movement of two, three, four hundred. One looks a whole lot bigger and more successful than the other one. Yep. Well, and my whole point just saying that is simply like, well, that's fine. It's good. God, gather people wherever you can. I think it's great. My only point is like a lot of times that's kind of this thing you could you could plop down one of these mass events in certain places, but there's other places increasingly your university cities, your east coast, your west coast, and increasingly how that's influencing the whole world. That I'm just not convinced that you're going to be able to get secular people to. You have to work awfully hard, like you said. You experienced it. The marketing of it is is incredible. And I, right. so, so again, I just come back and go, gosh, isn't there an easier way to do this? Isn't there a better? Right. So I live in a community that's considered highly, if you will, unchurched. You know, if I yep. go into like uh, my association of evangelicals in my city, um, you know, these churches are 80, 100, 150. I, I'm part of, you know, one of the more larger, if not the largest uh, Bible, you know, preaching evangelical church in Lawrence, in this city. And, you know, I don't know, six or seven hundred total, counting women and children. I mean, it's not these thousands of people's churches, right? Um, my point in saying that is we have limited resources. Yeah. I, I mean, when I say resources, I'm talking about people, time, money. Yep. I'm not sure the best use of that is to try to have a mass crusade. I think if you did a mass crusade here... Most of the people would be from outside of the city and they would come here because they want, because they already have a desire to hear this certain person or see this certain celebrity. Exactly. And, you know, maybe there's a value in that. I, I just would like to sit back and go to the drawing board and say, I think there'd be some other things we could think about doing with that same time, same resources, same money and accomplish maybe more in the end. Yeah. So at this 
Especially, especially when we're thinking of evangelism. Like, yeah, there is, that's my there point. Is a, there is something good about like a Christian conference where we bring in some really good Bible teachers and we get a bunch of real Christians together to learn Bible. Like, absolutely, that's yeah, great. Sure, yeah, that's great. That's what it's but for. When it comes yep. to a, when it comes to evangelism, where we're good, trying yeah. to reach the non-believer, the person that does not know Christ, right? Again, these large events, it just, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, and so and, I think that. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe yep. maybe people already tuned us out because we sound like naysayers or something. I don't know. <laughs> I, because I, I, know I, I don't want I, to. Yeah. I want to go back to where we started. Do you realize how many people in the word, world heard the gospel through Bill? Well, right, and that's the good thing. I want and to that's go, what wow. we come back to. Yeah, that's what we come back to. That's where we we want to anchor this. Is that. At the end of the day, it's all about the content of what is being proclaimed. Yep. If you gather 50,000 people together and the gospel that is preached is not the gospel, man, is that bad. That is bad. Like, you don't want to gather 50,000 people together and, and have somebody preach a false gospel. Bad. Yeah. Now, if you gather 50,000 people together and what is preached is the true gospel— the true gospel, the only gospel, which Paul is saying, like the, there's only one. And I'll, let me be accursed if I preach anything different than this one gospel. Hmm. Even if an angel comes and you know the angel comes and lands in the middle of of U.S. Bank Stadium, sixty thousand people, and and it's an angel from heaven and he preaches a different gospel. Let him be accursed. Like that's where I get really serious, though. Is like. Whatever, 100,000 people, one person across the table at a coffee shop. What matters is what is coming out of my mouth. Is it the true gospel? If it is, praise God. Whether it's one-on-one, whether it's to 50,000 people, 100,000 people. Mm -hmm. Because there's only one message that saves. Only one message. And it's all about the work, the life, the crucifixion, the resurrection of Christ. Yeah. It's all about that we are bankrupt we are sinful we have we're depraved we there's there's this real idea of the justice of god that is on us because we're sinners and that we we are due we, we deserve wrath and that the only way we can have a righteousness is through the imputed righteousness of christ through faith like that message is that being preached when i'm sharing a one-on-one conversation with somebody over coffee is that being preached when you gather 50, 60, 70, 100,000 people in a venue? Mm. Now, this is just an observation. Again, observations. It tends to be, I think, and I could be wrong. This isn't, don't hold this, don't hold this at all. But in a sense, what I've seen is that it's easier to have a, a lukewarm or a, a surface level or a watered down or near borderlining false gospel at a larger event. It just it just seems that way. Why do you think? What do you think? Tell. Because you're, it's all about the numbers again. Mm. Not only do we want to gather a bunch of people, but we also want to see a bunch of people respond. Mm. I don't like the goal isn't to gather a hundred thousand people and then have a hundred thousand people just stay in their seats when you do the altar call. Whoa, that's that was a bomb. <laughs> you and know what I'm laughing you... at? What comes to my mind is when uh, when Jesus was preaching. I have to go back to the what Gospels. He talks about this. But they were like, 
don't you realize that the, you're really offending them, Jesus? <laughs> Do you remember it's that? Exactly. The Pharisees? Yeah. Man, Matthew you're really, 14. Is that it? Uh, yeah. Matthew I mean, 14. I mean, uh, Jesus, I mean, and just prior to it, I don't know if that's the passage. The passage I'm thinking about is with everybody liked him at first, and then a few verses oh, yeah. later, it's like nobody likes <laughs> Well, he says this. Well, wait a minute. Where are you at? Oh, gotta, Matthew 15. I'm at Matthew 15. Okay, go ahead. He goes, And he called the people to him and said to, and to, said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended by what they heard when they heard this saying? And then he goes, he answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. And it's just, just like yeah, that's that's I'm actually thinking of a different passage, but yeah, that's the the idea. Like the I'm just I'm sort of chuckling, like like what what happens if you preach everything and everybody was really upset? Well, yeah, what if it's just, like, it's just crickets? You just, like, we preach something, it's just crickets, and nobody's coming. It's like, but in in a, in a sense though, in a sense though, that that's might that might be how it is when the true gospel is yeah, preached. But think of the prophets. That's contrary they to preach- my evangelical dance, though, dude. <laughs> I know. That's the, that, see, we're making jokes now because that's the thing. It's like I put on this big event. I get a hundred thousand people there. I have awesome music, and now I better I better perform, and I better get a bunch of people whipped up. Okay. So you have this very engaging. You know, he's he's a very articulate. You know, evangelist, and he he has all these cool analogies and all these cool illustrations, and he just you know he he caters towards the the man in a sense like you are depressed you your life is blah 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 you know come to Christ and you'll blah 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 and you, you know you can tend to get this man centered gospel in it. Have it you actually heard? Have you, have you actually heard him say stuff like that? Yep, I have. Yeah, I was thinking. I've, I, I've heard I, it. I, I actually threw you, you a softball because you told me one time that you saw heard a mass person talk that way. Yep, and and what it, what is it? It's you don't hear much on sin, you don't hear much on wrath, you don't hear much on the justice of God that you actually deserve hell for your sin. It's all about your sin causes you pain in this life. Come to Christ so that you no longer have this pain in this life. It's very temporal. It's it's about this life now. Yeah. You know that's where you get to these prosperity gr- preachers. Your best life now. You know Joel Osteen. Your best life now. And then MacArthur says, well, if this. <laughs> if you believe that, then th- this will be your best life now because your next <laughs> life will be hell. So it's like, if this is your best life now, then that's true. <laughs> did you like, ever? Did you ever hear Paul Washer say that? That guy's. Oh so, man, he makes he, he cracks me up. He's so serious that it's right. hard for him to be funny, but he is. He's like. What was it? Uh, uh, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Oh, great! I I have a wonderful plan for my life too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's the point. And I just thought it was kind of funny how he talked about that. Like, well, I yeah, I I would yep. love it. Well, I got great news for you. Really? Oh, I get to have my life. Oh, good. Yeah. I love so I love I love me too. <laughs> right. Exactly. Me centered, man centered gospel. Yeah. And here's a here's a story. Um, of all places, I heard the story. It was on a conversation between Jordan Peterson and this atheist named Matt Dillhunty. Dillahunty was his name. Okay. And he's a he's he's an atheist in America. Yeah. around. Blah 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 blah. Yeah. And they're having a conversation. And Matt Dillhunty goes, "You know, 
I grew up a Christian. I grew up an evangelical Christian. I was at this this Bible camp or something, some event, when I was like 16, 15, 16 years old. And, you know, it's, it's, it's what we've been talking about, a very emotional experience, you know, you're getting the people going, and and um, he goes, man, I was feeling this feeling. I had this feeling, this very experiential experience, and, mm. and my friend said, you know, Matt, that's the Holy Spirit. You're saved. This is evidence that you're a Christian. Like, God just saved you. You're feeling the this emotional feeling. Yeah. And then he goes, a couple of days later, I was driving in my car, and I had, you know, classic rock blaring you know, secular classic rock. Yep. And I got the same exact emotional feeling from secular classic rock. And he goes, at that moment I realized what I was feeling a couple of days ago at that Bible camp or whatever it was, was fake. It's not real. God doesn't exist. And he's been an atheist ever since. Hmm. So we got to realize that this isn't all about an emotional experience. And that's what that's what those you know what you were talking about those uh, what 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 was the seat called uh, anxious seat with, yeah the anxious seat anxious like you, you're anxious you yeah, know yeah 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 you're feeling the emotions you're feeling yeah it. yeah like literally there's yeah. something really real about a psychological experience where you actually feel yeah. and and experience something very real to you yeah well see and it might you know Finney was trained as a lawyer. I'm not making light yep. of that, but like what with the jury? Yeah, yeah, and this is the point. He 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 would have actually said like we we need to get this person to step across this line. There was yep. this sense in which you're trying to really do everything you can to get them to step across this line. Yep, and that was exactly. the idea of the anxious seat and the the emotion tied with this. Yeah, and that it comes just, from just, again, and we said that comes from a theology and in a, in a, in a yeah. sense, it come, and we know that we know this historically. So this is historically accurate. Charles yeah. Finney. Was was on that Arminian Wesleyan side where it where it's up to man's will to choose God. He has to. He's the act of will and salvation. He chooses. He receives Christ. And so, what do we got to do? Well, we got to get him to, you know, make this decision. Get him across this line. And that's mm-hmm. what accounts. Where mm-hmm. we come from, what we'd say is the biblical reality. No. John one clearly says it's not by the will of man nor the will of the flesh, but the will of God that you're born. Mm. God is the act of will and salvation. He chooses you. Bible says, Romans 3, no one seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one understands. No one does good. Not even one. And so there is no such thing as a seeker. It's God will take the gospel and he'll regenerate his lost sheep and make them alive in Christ. You are dead, you're alive. You're dead, you're alive. So... That's just, oh, I mean, I, I'm venting in a sense. I'm on my soapbox, but this is just my burden with seeing these big events where we get everybody whipped up in an emotional frenzy and we, you know, we get everybody feeling the feels and then, you know, we say, come down and pray this prayer and do this thing and you get a bunch of people to come down and then it's kind of like group think, you know, you get a couple people to go and all of a sudden everybody's going because it's just the, you know, the experience of the thing. Well, the lights I, are low. I actually think I said that earlier. That part of that, part of that's what I'm thinking. I, I don't want to say it's contrived. Maybe it's to give people comfort. I don't know. But part of that is a lot of those people going down are counselors. 
what well, yeah it's it's literally groupthink it's like yeah, you get yeah. people to do it and you just f- you you want to be a follower right i mean if at the if at the point that there's more than half of the people in the stadium are down on the floor and you're one of the people left up and right. now you're the minority yeah it's, yeah. it's peer pressure. It's literally peer pressure. You got all your friends <laughs> in high school, and they're all, hey, smoke oh. a cigarette. And all of a sudden, your friends are smoking a cigarette, and you're the only one not smoking a cigarette. You're like, oh, the pressure's <laughs> too great. Okay, give me a cigarette. We all know this. This is called peer pressure. And that's what's being created, in a sense, in these venues and these big you events. Know, it's this, funny. Did you ever this see peer this? pressure. Did you ever see this uh, off on tangent, just conversation? I don't know. Maybe it's a good time to transition. I don't know. But, like... They have these, I watched this YouTube presentation. You know, it's on YouTube. I wish I could. But it's about the people in the waiting room. Have you ever seen this? This, this, It's all set up. There's an actor in the waiting room. And when this this buzzer goes off, they're waiting room for a doctor or a dentist. Yep. And, yep. and there's, there's this little horn and the person stands up, sits back down. And they're an actor that's all set up. Yep. It's like, ding. And, and they stand up, sit back. And then- and new people come in, and pretty soon they, you know, maybe the first time they hear the ding, they don't. But anyway, by the time it's done, everybody's following. Everybody's following. Yeah. And, so like they, and, then, and then everybody leaves the room. They have the actor leave and all the other people, and the person that's been conditioned is kind of still doing it. Yeah. Even though, even though nobody else is there. It's hilarious. It's, and it's this whole psychological, call it group shape, think, call it being like sheep, but people kind of want to. <laughs> It's really, really They want to fit in. They don't want to be the outlier. And so they do that. They have another one on there, Sam, they do, where where this guy gets up and gives a talk, like a TED Talk. And in yep. the middle, middle of it, he just gives a bunch of gobbledygook, like sentences that don't make any sense. Make any yep. sense. Sense. This is all, it's all a ploy. It's all a, it's all a game. Well, at yep. the end of it, a couple of the people that are the actors stand up and start applauding. Like, it's a, give them a standing ovation. And the message literally meant no, made no sense. But everybody yep. starts kind of feeling like they're supposed to stand and clap. They give him a standing yep. ovation for nonsense. And then he comes out and says, uh, I want you guys all to know, like, this was a setup. This, and I mean, that's a brilliant TED Talk because that's actually showing something. Yeah, and by the way, I don't know if it was a TED Talk, but it's that kind of thing. You know, the, yeah. the setting was like that. It was an experiment to show people, here you're giving an applause, a standing ovation to something yeah. that made no sense. No sense. <laughs> It's crazy. So, so that stuff's real. That's the point. Yeah, I think that's what we're and, saying. And, and you got to be. We got to. We get. We need. We need to think about this. We really just. That's. We really I, do. I hope everybody got that sense from me. Like, again, I've been with some godly men in my life that are so far ahead of the processional, and I just I learned so many things from them, and they ran in this uh, way of a methodology that had been handed to them. Yep. And, and I think with the right heart and right motivation and everything. Uh, but as I increasingly live in a secular world, I think we need to think about this. I think we need to go we back do. to the drawing board and go, where did this actually come from? And why do we do yep. it this way? And it, yep. could we, could we do something? in scripture? Could we? Yeah, that's first and foremost, right? But I mean, then even like method, methods come and go. And that's what this is all about. But the question is, is, is there, is there, you know, uh, even some better yeah. things we could potentially do, and that's what I want to suggest. And then we went. If we go all the way back to our, our first session or two, like I probably pushed that. I mean, that's, that's that's probably me. We're having this podcast, which is just you know our thoughts, opinions. Hopefully, there's a lot of biblical content here. But I would like to see local evangelists. 
uh, connected to local churches. Yep. That's their environment. They can, you know, there's an accountability built into it. The church sends them out into the world to reach like you're doing on a campus and you come back. If people come to faith in Christ or quote unquote inquire or somebody's interested, you bring them back to this community of believers. Yep. That's what you do. I mean, that that's the natural thing. It's like, no, no, no. That's what it means to come and identify with the body of Christ, you know? Yep. And um, anyway, I don't know. Let's, let's wrap that up. Yep. We've had we a quite, quite the conversation. Oh man. Um, and, Quite the conversation. So that, I mean, that will kind of be our wrap-up of methods. Yeah. And uh, what we're probably going to transition into next, and it re- is related to this. It's a We've been talking about this whole thing of parachurch and church. So I want to have a little bit more of a focused discussion on the parachurch and the church. And we've we've kind of teased at this whole time, and we've, we've definitely hit on things that we'll probably hit on again. But kind of more of just a, the theme of the next discussion will be the parachurch and church. How are they related? What's going on here? Um, and that will probably be our next discussion. So thanks for listening to uh, this episode as we continue to talk about methods. Um, hopefully you you learned something. And I think, again, I think this is a really important discussion that we just had. And it, it turned out to be I mean, we don't we don't necessarily outline these discussions. It turned out we've been talking for an hour and forty minutes <laughs> on just this thing. That's crazy. I kind of think that's nuts. But hopefully, you were able to track with us, and you didn't just stop in the middle of it because we're just kind of going on our hobby horses here. But really, though, we're really trying to th- be biblical here. We're really trying to ground this in the Bible and be like, let's look at the Bible. What does the Bible say for us? But again, thanks for listening and tune into the next episode. Bye. <laughs>